Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. It's good to be back. Sometime last year, I think I, I came and uh, I just continue to be impressed with this young man right here. Uh, you are blessed to have Craig as your pastor. And I know that this is a difficult season that we're in, uh, but you are navigating this in a healthy way. And so uh, thank you for your faithfulness. I, I wish Grayson would have stayed in here for just a little bit longer because, wow, isn't that great having young people involved like that? And, and I was amazed at how many young people went out. You, you're, you're getting younger and younger here, and that's a good thing. But I was going to tell Grayson, so parents, if you have kids about that age, uh, let them know that at Lincoln Christian University, we are looking for men and women who want to make a difference in the kingdom. And it is important that every person knows where God wants them to go for college. And so what they need to start doing when they're about eight is every night when they lay down before they go to sleep, have them say out loud, I'm thinking Lincoln. I'm thinking Lincoln. I'm thinking Lincoln. And I'm pretty sure God will reveal in a dream where he wants them to go. So could you help me out and just try that? Hey, I grew up in a little country church. Uh, if we had 80 people there, it was probably Easter. Uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere. I, I love that little church, but it, it, was, it, it was a big part of my life. My family had a rule. If the doors were open, we were there. Any of you grow up like that? If the doors were open, we were there. Uh, Sunday morning, we had Sunday school, then church. We went back on Sunday night for youth group and Sunday evening church. It, it was always a priority. It, it was such a part of my life that when I was a kid, we used to play church sometimes. I don't know if any of you ever did that, but we'd gather and, and we'd take turns giving the message and we'd sing some of the old hymns and, and uh, we, we'd have communion. We, we didn't always have grape juice and a wafer, uh, but we made do. One of my favorites was we had a Heath bar and dad's root beer and uh, a very memorable communion service. I, I grew up on a little farm and, and we had behind our back pasture, we had a creek that ran through there. And sometimes we'd be back there and we would baptize people and they didn't always want to be baptized, but we baptized them anyway. It wasn't always spiritual. We had a great time playing church. When I was 17, I went to Lincoln, and when I was 19, I became a weekend youth minister, and I've been in ministry now for, it'll be 43 years in February. And here's what I've learned in 43 years. Kids aren't the only ones who know how to play church. Are you tracking with me? Adults know how to play church. In fact, sometimes entire congregations know how to play church. Almost every Sunday in our country, you'll have people that will come to a place kind of like this, and, and they'll know when to stand and when to sit, and they'll sing, and, and, and they take communion, and there'll be a message, and they'll go through the motions, and they go home, and nothing changes. Nothing changes inside of them, and nothing changes because of them in the community. They're simply going through the motions and playing church. But here's what I want to make sure we know today. We have not been called to play church. We have been called to be the church. Amen? And so what I want to do today, I want to, you know, back in my day, uh, back before the iPhones and Facebook, we had photo albums. Some of you will remember photo albums where you took a picture and then you put the picture in the album. And what I'd like to suggest to you is that 
if we're going to be a healthy church, if we're going to be the body of Christ and, and, and be healthy, which is what God wants us to be, then we ought to have this photo album that we can look at. And every page ought to be a picture of what a healthy church looks like. And so we're going to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 and just kind of walk through that passage and pull out some characteristics of what makes a church a healthy church. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now just stop right there. In this first section of this photo album, we would see pictures and hear stories of a church filled with holy people. To God's holy people. That that word holy means set apart or different. That, that when we choose to follow Christ, that, that we're different than we were. We're different than the world. And sometimes when we think of the word holy, I think we tend to think of what we don't do or what we abstain from or, or the bad things that we won't do anymore because we want to be holy. But we're not holy because of what we do or what we don't do. We're holy because of who we are. Holiness comes from being totally committed to God. It's, it, it's hold, not just holding on to our faith, but putting ourselves in a place that we're in God's hands and we're trying to be more and more like God all the time. It's more than being good. There are a lot of good people in the world who don't know God, so they can't be holy. Holiness is beyond that. But sometimes we, we get kind of confused about that and we think, well, if I can just be better, then I'll be holy. My, my preacher, when I was growing up, had a five-finger exercise that he used. I know he didn't do it every Sunday, but when we were kids, we thought it seemed like every Sunday. He, he, we called him the big five. He'd hold up his hand and he'd say, Christians don't smoke, drink, cuss, chew, or go with girls who do. I thought those were five of the Ten Commandments at one time. And, and I grew up thinking, man, if I can avoid the big five... Maybe God will love me. If I can avoid the big five, maybe God will be proud of me. If I can avoid the big five, maybe I'll go to heaven. And the longer we're in church, sometimes we think if we can avoid the big five or whatever other list we come up with, then I can be holy. But holiness comes from really knowing God and trying to become more and more like him every day. And that's what sets the church apart from a Lions Club or a Rotary Club or a country club. And I get the privilege of being in a different church almost every week. And here's what I see more than I wish I I saw. So many churches are like kind of high moral country clubs where membership has its privileges And most of the programs and ministries are focused on what we want, and they're for us, instead of how can we reach our world, how can we reach our our community for Christ and help people grow up to know God. And God hasn't called us to be a country club. He's called us to be the body of Christ. And if we're going to be the body of Christ, we have to be a church that's filled with people who live a holy life, people who are really committed to God. Let's go on. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. 
We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. If we were looking at this photo album of a healthy church, there would be pictures and stories of people who have a passionate faith. I, I would hope that if the Apostle Paul were to write a church to uh, write a letter to the church here in Onalaska, at some point he would write, "I've heard of your faith." Don't you think that would be a good thing? But again, I'm, I'm in a lot of different churches, and to be honest, I don't hear a lot about churches' faith. I hear about church problems and buildings. Ministries, programs, struggles, but I don't hear much about faith. Several years ago, I went to a conference, and a, a minister named Gene Apple was uh, one of the, the speakers. And he said that he had been at another conference and he was doing a workshop. And uh, Gene is out in California now, but he w- went to Vegas, and the church was running about 400 when he went there, and it grew to several thousand, and they started another church that grew to thousands, and they started another church that grew to thousands. It's an amazing story of what happened in Vegas. And he said in, in this workshop, one of the guys at the Q&A raised his hand, and he said, hey, Gene, to what do you attribute the dynamic growth of the church in Vegas? And just like that, Gene said, the hand of God. The hand of God is, has been on us. And just like that, the guy's hand went up again and he said, but other than the hand of God, what are you doing? Other than the hand of God? My friends, is there anything more important than the hand of God? I, I would suggest that when leaders get together in the church, we do need to talk about strategic planning. We need to talk about strategy. There are so many things we need to talk about, but I would suggest that we spend more time talking and praying for the hand of God to be on us, the hand of God to lead us, the hand of God to empower us, the hand of God to be on us. God wants us to be a church filled with people who are passionate about our faith And I want to encourage you today to make sure that you don't get comfortable, that you don't settle with your faith. Keep your faith vibrant. Keep it alive. Keep it passionate. On one hand, I'm so thankful that you're here. This is a really good church. I'm glad you're here. On the flip side, can can I give you a little bit of a warning? It's easy to come to a place like this on a regular basis, and if you're not careful, you can start getting comfortable, and you can start focusing more on churchianity than Christianity. And God wants us to be a healthy church, but it's all about Jesus, and we need to keep that passionate faith alive in our individual lives and and in the church. I I was blessed over a 34-year period to serve four Churches And they were, for the most part, pretty healthy. But in the last eight and a half years, almost nine years that I've been at Lincoln, my mind has been boggled many times at, at how sometimes we're just not who we ought to be. We don't treat each other the way we ought to, to treat each other. And I think it comes back to our faith, our, our passionate faith. When, when people leave here, and I pray that 
as, as we get back, um, I'm glad you're meeting in person. I, I pray that this thing gets behind us, this COVID thing gets behind us. And I pray that there will be new people here every week. And if that happens, you need to know that when they come here, they won't know everything you do. They, they won't know the songs that you sing. They won't understand everything that's said. They don't understand why you stand and why you sit and all of that. They won't understand everything. But they need to understand one thing. When they walk out those doors, they need to understand those people are excited about something. Because if they see that you're excited, they'll be back to try to figure out what you're excited about. But, man, as a church, if we just go through the motions and play church, why on earth would they ever come back? We need to be a church that is, has this passionate faith. Let's go on. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, and the love you have for all God's people. I love that line, the love you have for all God's people. In section three of this photo album, we would see pictures and hear stories of a church filled with people who love people. When, when I picture the church, I, I picture it like this. We're the body of Christ. I picture it with our arms open wide to welcome people. And when they're here, to have our arms around them. And I know during COVID, we can't physically do that. But we can do it in a lot of other ways. That, that's the way we, we need to look to people outside of the church. But here's my question for you today. Do you think that's what the world sees when they think of the church today? Do you think they see us like this, ready to welcome and love people? I'm afraid they look at us more like this. That we are willing to fight anything that we don't like, we don't believe, we don't agree with out in the world, and we're ready to fight anyone inside who doesn't agree with us too. We've got to change that. Far too many churches have no impact on their own community because the community knows about the divisions and arguments and fights that they're in. I, I preached in a little town called Havana, Illinois for seven and a half years, and it's a good little place. It was a river town, a uh, little wild. Uh, there are probably more bars per capita than any place I've ever lived, but there are a lot of churches in town too. And uh, you know what the talk at the coffee shops and restaurants were on Monday morning in that little town. People had breakfast and coffee and they talked about who is mad at who at what church and what church is in the middle of a new fight. So here's my question. Why would anyone out there want to be in here if they hear all of that talk and they know that they might be treated better at the bar on Friday night than the church on Sunday morning. My friends, that, that's not just a shame, that's sin. And we've got to get back to, we are the body of Christ and we need to love people and we need to welcome people. I see so many churches divide these days or people leave the church over what happens in the one hour that we gather in a place like this. Uh, I, I've seen churches get mad because they go to chairs instead of pews. During this pandemic, aren't you glad you have chairs instead of pews? What songs do we sing? Are we going to sing the old songs? We're going to sing the new songs. We're going to have a piano. Are we going to have, have, have guitars? Are we going to wear a suit and tie or are we going to come casual and i see so many churches divide and fight and leave over what happens in that one hour on sunday morning 
Here's where I am on that. I'm not sure God really cares that much about what we do the one hour that we gather. I think he's more concerned about the six days and 23 hours when we scatter. That's when we impact our community. Let's not let that one hour, what we like or what we don't like, become bigger than it should be. I think in our heads we know that. We know it shouldn't happen, but why does it? Well, because the church is filled with people. Let me ask you this. How many of you are perfect? Let me see your hands. I'm just putting mine up for illustration purposes only. <laughs> now, we're not perfect, are we? So when you have imperfect people gathered, sometimes there's going to be problems. Sometimes there's going to be some things we don't agree on. Here's what I want to do. I just want to spend a few minutes and introduce you to some people who have been in my ministries over the past 40, almost 43 years and my guess is you have met some of them or you've met their cousins. And I've changed their names just to uh, make a point. I-, I call the first guy Anonymous Al. Anonymous Al loves to write anonymous letters and notes. He, uh, he just writes them and, and turns them in. And, and when I was first starting, that was before we had email and all the things we have today. Man, they ate my lunch. As a young pastor, I think, oh got an anonymous letter and I can't tell you how many kingdom hours I wasted trying to figure out who wrote this letter does it look like a right-handed person or a left-handed person does it does it look like maybe a male or a female is there any phrase in here that I hear someone use I used to waste so much time and I remember one elders meeting I, I took one in and I said guys we got another one we got another anonymous letter and one of the elders said let me see that So I gave it to him, and he just wadded it up and threw it away. And he said, from now on, that's what we do. If someone doesn't sign their name, we don't even read the letter. And I'm so thankful for the kingdom hours that elder saved me in the next 30-plus years. But here's what I found out. It's kind of unique, a little bit of history. Uh, Anonymous letters have been around for a long time. You remember D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, lived a long time ago, he told the story about being with a group of people and, and he reached in his pocket and there's a piece of paper in there and he pulled it out and it was uh, like eight and a half and 11, eight, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, something like that. It had been folded four ways and it had been given to him earlier in the day or, and he hadn't had time to look at it. So he pulled it out and he opened it up and there was only one word written on the page. Now, I don't know whether I should use this word in public in church or not. Uh, We used it on the farm when I was growing up, but I'm not going to use it. I'm just going to give you a clue, okay? It's another word for donkey. You think you got it? I'll give you one more clue. If you're thinking jackrabbit, you're only halfway there, but that's my last clue. (laughs) That was written on the paper, and and, and D.O. Moody looked at it, and he said, now this is a first. I've had a lot of times where someone wrote a letter and forgot to sign their name. This guy signed his name and forgot to write the letter. (laughs) I love that story. So there's been anonymous Al. I call this other person Tightwad Tanya. Tightwad Tanya has a mantra that goes like this. If I don't get my way, I won't give my money. And folks, there are churches across this land who are being held hostage by a tightwad Tanya. And I hope you already know this, but 
Our God is rich. Our God owns a cattle in a thousand hills. He doesn't need Tanya's money, and neither do we. And what a terrible motivation for giving anyway. But there are what Tanya's out there. There's, I call this guy uh, Wet Blanket Willie. Always throwing the wet blanket. It won't work. We tried it before. No, we're not doom and gloom. Always throwing the wet blanket on everything. Another guy, I call him complaining Carl. Carl's kind of like Willie, but he just complains about everything. We had a, a, a Carl in my last ministry. And to be honest, I'd be walking down the hall. And if I saw Carl, I'd have to turn and go the other way because I knew he was going to stop me with the complaint of the day. And I just didn't want to deal with that before I got up to preach. I remember one Sunday, we'd we'd had a great weekend. We had a Saturday night service and three Sunday morning services. We had a great attendance. We had a bunch of baptisms, a great spirit. And Carl came up to me and he said, preacher, I didn't like that one song we sang. Thanks, Carl. (laughs) Hey, for your information, we weren't singing it to you. (laughs) You need to know that. I could go on, but let's just stop right there. Let let me introduce you to four people who have been in my ministries that, man, they've been such a blessing to me. The first guy, I call him Ernie the Encourager. And Ernie's never going to be up front. He's never going to be teaching or preaching or in the worship team. But Ernie's the kind of guy that when you walk into a room and Ernie's there, you just feel better. Do you know an Ernie? Ernie would be in the hospital, and I'd go to to the hospital to see him. I'd go to minister to him, to try to encourage him. And I'd be walking back to the parking lot, and I'd just stop and think, how did that happen? Ernie ministered to me. Ernie encouraged me. And we need a lot more Ernie's. I call the next guy Harry the helper, and he's always there just to lend a helping hand. And again, he's probably going to be behind the scenes, but if you need something... Harry will help. We need a lot more Harrys. I call the next person Pat the Prayer Warrior. And Pat the Prayer Warrior, she will pray you through the times that you can't pray for yourself. Have you been there? I have. I've been in some of those periods of life where, man, I'm going through this valley and it's just dark and I'm trying to pray, but it feels like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. And I get to the end of that valley and life is good again. And I think, man, how did that happen? Well, Pat prayed me through the valley. She's a prayer warrior. We need more Pats. I'm going to tell you about one more. And and let me preface this by letting you know that preachers say that we don't have favorites. You need to know we lie. Because this next lady has been my favorite for almost 43 years. I call her Betty the Baker. (laughs) And Betty the Baker knows the perfect time to stop by with a plate of chocolate chip cookies. Or coconut cream pie. (laughs) Or German chocolate cake. Now, this is my second time here. I'm kind of hoping I get to come back. But just in case I do, I'm going to repeat that. Chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you probably ought to be writing this down. <laughs> Coconut cream pie, German chocolate cake. And I don't know, Craig, it sounds like you know that there are some times where a plate of chocolate chip cookies at the right time, there's almost something spiritual about it. There's always an opportunity for a trial run. <laughs> a trial run. Craig is available. 
Folks, here's what I know. It's not rocket science. You give me a church filled with Ernie's and Harry's and Pat's and Betty's, and we can turn on Alaska upside down for Jesus Christ. There needs to be a lot of photos of people loving each other in this photo album. Let's go on. In section four, we would see pictures and, and hear stories of a church filled with people who share the gospel message. There is nothing that should ever take the place or become more important than sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't yet know him. I, I once heard a preacher named Ben Merrill say that we should never start out to grow a big church. We should start out to win people to Jesus. And if we win enough people to Jesus, we'll be a big church. But we'll be a big church for the right reasons. And I know churches that do a great job reaching people around them, but they say that foreign missions isn't their thing because there's enough needs right here in our backyard. Why should we send money across the ocean? And then I know other people who, who say, you know, we, we want to reach our world. We want to carry out the Great Commission. And they are very faithful and send, send money across the ocean, but they won't walk across the street to invite a neighbor to church. And for the life of me, I can't figure out where we ever thought it was one or the other. It's both. It's across the street and around the world. That's got to be a priority. That's got to be the mission of the church today. I love what Paul writes here. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. May that be said of the church here in Onalaska, that because of you, the gospel is, is going out. The kingdom is growing around the world. It may start in your backyard, but it shouldn't, fit, shouldn't end there. When I was in my first ministry, it was a fairly new church, and uh, financially, we, we were, it was tight. I remember we're getting up to wintertime now, and, and it was up near Chicago. And if we had a Sunday that it snowed and we couldn't meet... We couldn't pay our bills that week. I mean, the offering paid the bills for, and so it, it was tough in the winter sometimes. When I left there, I went to Havana, Illinois, that I just mentioned a little while ago. And I remember probably my second board meeting, I was 26 years old, and I'm sitting there and I hear a guy ask the treasurer, do we really have that much money in the bank? And the treasurer said, yeah, we do. He said, well, I, I think it's a problem because we're a church, not a bank. We need to get rid of some of that. And I sat there in amazement as they decided to give $5,000 to Lincoln Christian College at the time, $5,000 to Lake Springfield Christian Camp that our kids went to, and $5,000 to Western Illinois Campus Ministry. And I drove home thinking, wow, man, this is a first for me. And I, I learned that that you, you give money. The church needs to be generous in giving away. Now, here's an interesting thing. About a month later, we got a letter from an attorney and a lady that no one in the church could place or remember had passed away, and we were named in her will. Do you know how much she left us? $15,000. And, and I, I, I've just seen over and over that the more we give the more God blesses us. In my last ministry at Rochester, Illinois, when I got there, we were, we were um, given 10% of our budget to missions. $35,000 a year was going to missions. 13 years later, we were given over $200,000 to missions. 
And, and we had started taking short-term trips. We had one, then we had two, then we had three. We were sending about eight different groups out to various places around the world. And here's what I learned. The more we gave and the more we went, the more God blessed us where we were. We have to be committed to sharing the good news of Jesus. One of the things I hear so often when I meet with, with church leaders and mission teams in small churches is this phrase that just drives me crazy when they say, well, we're just a small church in a small town. No. You are the body of Christ. You may be a small church in a small town, but you are not just a small church in a small town. You are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we need to be concerned about people who don't yet know Jesus and do everything we can to get the good news out. A photo album of a healthy church would include a lot of pictures of people sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's look at one more. Paul writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring, and here's the next picture, from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. From the hope stored up for you in heaven. In section five of this photo album of a healthy church, we would see pictures and we would hear stories of a church filled with people who have a great hope. And, and I'm confident you already know this, but our hope is not here. Our hope is not in a building. Our hope is not in a budget. Our hope is not in a person other than the person of Jesus. And there are people all around us who are hurting in normal times, that would be true. I believe people are hurting today. It's like hurt on steroids because of COVID, because of isolation, because of anxiety and worry and fear. And the church is the hope of the world because we have the message of hope. And we have to do everything we can to hold that hope out to other people. Here, here's my guess. My guess is on a Sunday morning, there will probably be someone, if not more than one, who if you're really honest and you took the, not the COVID mask, but the, the mask that we wore even pre-COVID days off and were honest, we'd have to say it was all I could do today to get dressed and come here because right now my life is, is hard. I'm struggling. And there are people all around us, probably these neighborhoods all around you, that they're hurting and they're running short on hope. And we need to hold on to the hope we have, but at the same time, we need to hold that hope out to those around us. Let's cling to the hope. Let's not lose our hope. But right now, let's share that hope with the hurting world. I want to wrap up by telling you my first trip. I've, I've had the privilege of traveling to various countries in Africa uh, 13 times. But my first trip was to a place that's a Democratic Republic of Congo now. It, it used to be Zaire. It was in 1995. And, and we flew into Nairobi, Kenya, stayed there for a couple of days at a mission guest house. And we flew into Congo for about two and a half weeks. Then we flew back to the guest house and stayed there for a couple of days. And, and there's a gatekeeper 
And he would open the gate. There, there's walls around the guest house because it's high crime area. And he would open the gate and get a cab for us, a taxi for us, if we wanted to go downtown. And he'd open the gate and let us back. And that happened for the, the first two days. The third day, right before we were going to leave, he wasn't at the gate. He was up closer to the guest house. And there was a, a blanket on the sidewalk. And it had souvenirs, wood carvings and paintings and jewelry and things like that. And it was his uncle's business, but he was working it. And he, he asked me if I had any clothing that I could trade him for souvenirs. And I, I already had all the souvenirs I'd plan on taking home. But, but he said, I, I need better clothes because I want to go to school. And I, I don't have the kind of clothes I need to go to school. Could you trade me? So I went down to my room and I, I got some shirts and pants and a pair of shoes and we worked out a trade and he was happy and I was happy and, and I came back to my room and I was going to put my new souvenirs in my suitcase and I, I saw I had a couple more shirts in there, had another pair of pants. Then it dawned on me, I'm going to go home and I've got a closet full of clothes and I've got dressers full of clothes and so I, I just took almost everything I had and I went back up to him and I said hey I, I don't want to trade for anything I just want to give you these clothes it's a gift I hope you'll be able to go to school and these will help and the look on his face you would have thought I gave him $20,000 not some used clothes I wish I could describe the look on his face, but I can't. I don't have the words to describe it. I can describe how it made me feel. Here's how it made me feel. If Delta Airlines would have let me get away with it, I would have flown home in my boxer shorts the next day because I would have given him the clothes off my back. It felt that good. The next day we were leaving. And I looked up, and the gatekeeper was a different guy. And he opened the gate, and the taxi taking us to the airport started taking off. And I, I was bummed because I wanted to see this guy one more time. And we're just starting to go down the street. And I looked down the side street, and here this guy came running. I mean, running full speed. And he's waving his arms saying, stop, stop, stop. And it's hot in Nairobi. I already had my window down, so I tapped the taxi driver, and I said, stop, stop. He stopped. This young man came up. He didn't even slow down. He just came up and he dives in the window. And he grabs both of my hands. And with this big smile on his face and these eyes that were just shining, he said, if I don't see you again here, I'll see you in heaven. If I don't see you again here, I'll see you in heaven. And friends, that's what it's all about. It's not about being the biggest church in town. It's not about having the biggest building. It's not about a budget or what programs we have. It is about going to heaven and helping as many people get to heaven as well. And if that can be our passion, if that can be our purpose, we will be a healthy church. And I pray for God's hand to continue to be upon this church in the days to come. I pray that he will use this place to do some amazing things for his kingdom.